Hoy hoy, my delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and you're listening to another episode of Everybody Trades. And of course, thank you for listening once again and for following on Spotify, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, the whole deal. It certainly helps grow the numbers on the show. And yeah, we're slowly but surely branching out to more listeners here, which makes this podcast awfully happy. I, I got to be honest. And so thank all of you out there for sharing the show with a friend. And you know what? I've been on some interesting topics lately, at least in my humble opinion, they're interesting, right? What I'm trying to say is, is I'm kind of going to get into more of what I talked about last time. And that's more of what liberty is and what it isn't. And also this whole idea of a one size fits all society that we have, not just a government, but really our whole society has gotten into this mentality. And we've seen that very obviously in this whole COVID-19 pandemic panic, whatever you want to call it. Now, actually, I want to start with something that Dr. Anthony Fauci said. Now, you all have heard plenty about Dr. Fauci in recent months. You don't need a recap on him, I certainly hope, if you're listening to this show. But he had a quote that I thought was really rather telling of a certain problem that I think comes from a lot of incredibly smart people like Dr. Fauci and a lot of people who are in academia, and especially people who are considered experts in very heady fields that most of us can't understand. And for instance, Dr. Fauci has quite obviously forgotten more about medicine than I have learned in my entire life. There's no question about that. Part of that is he's a doctor and I'm a podcaster and a stock trader and a small business owner. So obviously he has that expertise over me without question. But the problem is, is when Dr. Fauci gives a quote like this. To me, this, yes, while Dr. Fauci may be a medical genius, he misses some things that, again, a lot of highly intelligent people miss about the nature of human behavior and, more importantly, how to analyze it and model it for the future. See, Dr. Fauci, he said, quote, in response to a criticism of the lockdowns, he said, quote, I don't give advice about economic things. And on its face, that may seem to be accurate. But if you think about it for more than a few steps beyond the surface level, it becomes quite obvious that, of course, Dr. Fauci is giving advice about economic things, as he says. Because here's the deal. You cannot separate human behavior and psychology and religion and all the different things that make humans what they are. You cannot separate that from economics. You see, it all goes together. For instance, I said religion in there. You don't think people's religion and their different religious beliefs might affect, for instance, what kind of food they choose to buy at the grocery store? Well, of course it does. That that couldn't be more obvious. You see, academia, that world, the world of expertise per se, they tend to divide human behavior into various different disciplines, various different sections. One of them might be economics. Another is psychology, sociology, anthropology. And then there are people who are experts in history and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, to me, how can you have a pure and clear understanding of economics without understanding history, the history of America, the history of the world? 
the history of human beings and their behavior and flip it the other way. How can you have a full understanding of world history of human behavior if you don't understand economics? If you have the wrong economic model, well, you're going to ultimately come up with a confused, muddled, and perhaps wrong interpretation of how the future or even the present is unfolding. And honestly, when it comes to all these statistical-based models that portend or pretend, I guess I should say, to predict the future, well, we've seen how grossly wrong these models can be. And quite frankly, these models have really nothing to do with science. This isn't the scientific method. This isn't experimentation based on control groups and variables and those type of deals. This is simply somebody making an educated guess, plugging it in to a mathematical formula, and then hitting enter. The problem is, is human behavior isn't in any of these models. It's all static. Almost all models are static. Think back to Paul Ehrlich and the population bomb. I mean, my goodness, I was taught this thing 15 years ago, my last year of college at Mizzou. They were telling us, oh, we're going to run out of food, the population's going to grow too big, and we're all going to die. Well, they were right. The population has continued to grow. However, we keep growing more and more food. So people adjust. People are dynamic. People change. They aren't just statistically modeled robots that are going to continue to do their past behavior when current and future circumstances change. Of course they're going to change. And that's what makes, frankly, the stock market and all other forward-looking types of business ventures, et cetera, et cetera, that's what makes that stuff so difficult. That's why, despite the fact that, yes, I don't know medicine like Dr. Fauci was, I still was forced to make some level of judgments about this coronavirus panic. Some of my judgments were wrong, but overall, most of them have been pretty close to accurate, at least in terms of modeling the future of the stock market. I feel pretty proud of what I've done the last two, two and a half months in terms of not only giving advice here, but my actual real-life action that I've taken with my portfolio. So all I'm saying here is not that I'm smarter than Dr. Fauci, that I know more about medicine, but I would suggest that I have Again, based on what is called praxeology, which is looking at the whole of human behavior, not separating it out into these sort of academically convenient sections. Now, when you look at all of human behavior as one thing put together, it's just humans. It's just humans. It's not economic humans. It's not religious humans, et cetera, et cetera. It's just humans. And that's something that we all need to get a better grasp of, a better understanding of, And also, frankly, when it comes to modeling, we need to understand that while some models can be helpful, others can be wildly unhelpful. And frankly, we've seen they've been politicized as well. Models, you know, think about secondhand smoke, how exaggerated the numbers have been on people who die from secondhand smoke. Well, the central authority types, the nanny state figures will tell you that those lies are justified in order to get people to behave how they want. Well, I'm sorry, I don't live in that world, and I don't think that's effective either. Because for years, there were the more conservative types in government who lied about pot use, marijuana, cannabis. They said, oh, it'll, 
It'll turn you crazy. It'll do this. It'll do that. Exemplified in the famous Reefer Madness video movie from several decades ago. Was that, was that propaganda, that false propaganda put out by the state, was that effective? Because it sure didn't seem to be over the long term. In fact, here we are decades later and most states, most societies are deciding, the heck with it, let's legalize, at least on the medicinal level. And here's the deal. I'm certainly not suggesting that every society needs to be as accepting of cannabis as others. Certainly your family, your home doesn't have to be. Nobody's imposing this upon you. And that gets me back to the idea of the one-size-fits-all society and the rulings, the one-size-fits-all lockdowns, the shutdowns that we've had, which has been my biggest bugaboo in this whole thing. That's been my biggest complaint at Dr. Fauci, at all the various governments throughout this country that are just not only telling us to stay in place, but are forcing us at the butt of a gun in many cases to stay in place. I don't think that's particularly helpful, and it's certainly unconstitutional. But some people believe, okay, this is an extraordinary circumstance where you have to suspend the Constitution. I don't buy into that whatsoever, but regardless of the constitutionality of it all, is it even effective? Well, you know, I happen to be finishing off Orange is the New Black the last season. There's about a year behind. It's the one good thing about this COVID period. Catch up on some stuff you maybe fell behind. Well, in episode seven, early on, there's a new kind of hip teacher in the prisoner. He's trying to help these these lady prisoners. Lady prisoners, for those of you who aren't aware of the show, it's a, it's a woman's prison. And he's trying to help them get their GED, essentially. And he's going by it by not exactly your traditional school methods. He's actually playing a game. And well, let's hear what that sounds like for a second. Okay. What are the three states of matter? But, uh, ooh, very close, but it's Miss Cabrera by a parsec. Um, solid, liquid, and ice. Incorrect, Miss Doggett for the steal. Uh, solid, liquid, gas. That's correct. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Team photosynthesis converting that carbon into a win. Now, you could hear the ladies quite clearly engaged there. They were having fun. They were saying, yes, oh, no, I didn't get it wrong, that type of deal. What you didn't hear during the sort of pregnant pause there when the first lady was trying to come up with the last state of matter there, gas, she said ice instead, that pregnant pause, all the other women were standing around, and they were on pins and needles. They were just as engaged as the two people who weren't playing the game. So... While clearly this wasn't a conventional method of teaching necessarily, it sure seemed to be effective, especially for this group of ladies who, you know, they're trying to, they're prisoners who are trying to get their GED well past their teenage years. So not exactly maybe the most academically inclined per se, maybe they traditional, let's just say traditional schooling in a sort of sit down at a desk, be lectured to mentality may not work for those people as much. And honestly, I'm much more concerned about you actually learning it than the method of how you're learning it. And to sort of buoy that point, a few seconds later after this trivia game was over, here's what the teacher had to say. 
Uh, one last thing, everyone, please review your social studies worksheets. This Friday, we're gonna do our very first practice test. I know, I know, but the GED board still won't let me administer the test like a game of Jeopardy, so we're gonna stick with the practice test for now. So you can hear that the ladies are not nearly as excited about the GED board's practice tests. So again, the GED board, they're not going to let you prepare by doing this Jeopardy game that seems to be quite effective for this class. No, we're going to force you again into the one-size-fits-all thing because, well, if there's some people, see, we as the academic nerds who are probably, um, let's be honest, those are the types of people They are academic types. They like the sort of sitting in a classroom and being lectured to. Some people like that stuff. So if they're in charge of the one-size-fits-all philosophy, that's what they're going to go for. They're going to go for that exact same standard, safe, and possibly less effective method, especially for, again, this group of ladies. So quite obviously, in my opinion, one-size-fits-all in this specific case, is actually hurting this class of prisoners who's trying to do an admirable thing and get their GED. This is what we want, supposedly, right? We want prisoners to rehabilitate themselves. Supposedly, that's one of the points of prison. So again, it's not just about shutdowns. It's not just about lockdowns. It's not just about money in an obvious sense. But it's just about, it's about freedom. It's about the ability for people to be dynamic, for people to try new things. Yes, when you put everybody under the one-size-fits-all thing, you're no longer allowed to be a pioneer. I mean, frankly, it's always hard to do the new thing, right? You're always going to get pushback from people who don't want to change. But it's the force of this central authority. I mean, it's very obvious when you're in prison But even outside of prison walls, in the public school system, where your child goes to school is based on their geography in the public school system. And if you choose to, well, if you're you're lucky enough to have enough money, you're fortunate enough, you've worked hard enough to have enough put away, you've sacrificed enough to pay for private school on top of what you're already paying, your property taxes, if you're a homeowner for public school, yeah, you're just not getting the t- level of dynamism, the level of, of innovation that you would otherwise get from a much more laissez-faire, free approach. Why is it fair for people who just happen to live in a nice school district for them to get a good education, while the people who just so happen to live in a crappy school district, well, they're going to get a bad education and possibly just be forced into a, a school system with a whole bunch of other really not more than unproductive people, frankly dangerous other young people. People are not helping, at the very least, are not helping the academic process whatsoever. And my whole thing is to the people who would argue that, well, that may be true. Yeah, at the bottom of the public school system, there's a lot of problems. But I would argue the entire thing has problems. But even at the bottom, if you went completely laissez-faire, just the idea that, Well, suddenly, if you don't force people to pay for their children's education, that somehow that education overall, especially at the lower level, is going to suffer, I think that's a foolish idea and doesn't have any basis in reality, certainly outside of the education system. 
And it also assumes that people would not care about their children's education unless they're forced to. As if, I don't care if my, my young daughter is now 10 months old. As if I don't care if she learns to read or not. As if that doesn't matter to me. As if I don't want her to know arithmetic and science and all that other good knowledge. Now, believe me, like most parents, I want her to be as smart as she possibly can. I want her to reach her potential in all ways. And again, I think I speak for most parents when I say that. So if that's the case, then we're going to have plenty of demand, plenty of demand for schools out there. And the thing is, yeah, there's there's always going to be crappy parents. There's always going to be negligent, absent parents. That's a horrible reality of life. But let's try to create as few of those as possible. Let's not base our entire philosophy on those people and trying to force them to be better. Because quite honestly, if you look at other parts of of capitalism, of laissez-faire, of free society, of business, well, you don't need the poorest people to move the ball forward in terms of innovation, in terms of any market. See, really, it's the rich people who buy the $5,000, $50,000 plasma TVs 20 years ago. They're all our guinea pigs, basically. And then as time goes along, guess what? Eventually, we've all got $300 LCD 4K TVs that are way, 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 way technologically better than the $50,000 TVs that our guinea pig rich people paid for freely, by the way, 20 years ago. And what, what made that even more obvious this weekend, I was hanging out with, with my good friend, a couple of her coworkers. They were over. I noticed they both had a couple nice Range Rovers in the driveway. I was like, oh, nice cars. What's going on? Cool. Like the Range Rovers. But I was watching The Last Dance this weekend, and I was reminded that Michael Jordan was driving a red Range Rover during one of those scenes. And my wife, Melissa, well, she happens to know some some of the rather and back in the day, she knew uh, Paige Laurie. Like, her sister actually hung out with Paige Laurie. And, well, if, if you're in town, if you're a Columbia, Missouri type, you know the Lorries are heirs to the Walmart throne. So among some of the richest people in America, well, they had, along with Michael Jordan, one of the few Range Rovers in America back in 1998. But again, now you have... Fairly regular folks who are driving around with Range Rovers. Now, don't get me wrong, you can't be destitute and own a Range Rover. But these these friends of mine, these acquaintances, they're successful people, but they're not exactly Michael Jordan or the Lorries. So have a little patience. Have a little bit of faith in your fellow human. Get rid of the aggression that is central authorities, that is one-size-fits-all. And quite quickly... Eventually, at the very least, but much more quickly than you might even imagine, I promise you, the education system is going to change. And I said aggression very specifically, because really that's all government is. But obviously, even the individual forms of aggression are obviously bad, too. You see that in Orange is the New Black? Well, shortly into this guy's, into this popular teacher's stint at the prison, one of the prisoners came up, threatened him with a shiv, basically held it up to his balls, and you know the implication was pretty obvious there. You do what we want, you start smuggling stuff in, whatever they wanted him to do, or else we're going to 
commit bodily harm to you. An obvious thing of aggression. And what does he do? He runs for like a scalded dog. He's scared. He quits his job and moves out of the town. So who won there? Certainly not the kids. Certainly not the teacher. I guess the aggressor won, though. As usual, the aggressor gets what she wants. Well, that's why I'm a fan of self-defense, because I don't let people aggress upon me. So with all that being said, thanks for joining me once again on Everybody Trades. I'm John Miller, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.